Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Growing Pains podcast brought to you by Honey Kids Asia. This podcast will delve into the deeper challenges of modern parenting and provide a safe space for parents to unravel and detangle the messy and sometimes scary world of modern parenting. My name is Ange. I'm an Aussie expat who has called Singapore home for the last eight years and counting. I'm a mum of two boys, Xavier, who is 10, and Marcel, who is 8. In this episode of the Growing Pains podcast, we're talking to Nursha Zanna Shira, who is mum to a little boy called Noah and the owner of the hugely successful Fluff Bakery. We'll learn more about her adoption journey and what advice she has for others who are looking to adopt here in Singapore. Enjoy. So, hello, Shira. It's so lovely to have you on the podcast today. Nice to finally meet you face to face. I know. We've had a couple chats over kind of Instagram, over Zoom, and and now we're finally here in person. Um, So first up, it would be great to hear more about you. Okay, my name is Shaira. I am a 35-year-old local Singaporean and I own and uh, co-founded Fluff Bakery with my husband. So it's been going on for about nine years now and I have a coming to three-year-old little boy. Yes. Oh, wow. You're very busy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, We definitely want to spend some time talking about your adoption story. But first, can you perhaps share with everyone why you made the decision to adopt? Oh, that's a really long story as well. I'll condense it for you. Um, When we first got married, my husband had a small little cancer scare. So that's all done and dusted and he's fine and everything. But it was in the part of his brain that um, produces all the hormones in your body. It's right in between your eyes, in your brain. I think it's called the... Let me see. I shall not attempt it, but <laughs> but yeah. So it's Medical like, yeah. terms are quite long. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, after all the the cancer, um, the tumor has shrunk and everything. Um, it did affect um his hormone production, and with that mm. affected um his ability to produce sperm as well. So there is a a medication for it. There is like a some sort of a, um a treatment. Mm. But we tried for a couple of years for him to be on the jabs and everything. But at the end of the day, after a couple of years, there was still no improvements, and it might be a very long road for us to even get to the point where we can do IVF. And then comes whether the sperm is healthy, and then then the, the whole IVF thing. Mm. And at the point of time, I was just like, I was just done with, with with um wanting to have um a family. I was I wanted to have a baby now, like you know, I want to have, I wanted to love a child like, like now. So I told him, um, instead of spending so much time and money on a an uncertain goal, like we don't even know whether we're going to reach the point where we can do IVF, you know. Yeah. So I'm like, let's just adopt a child and, you know, I can have a baby in my arms with someone to love and we can be uh, like a, in my mind at that point of time, a more complete family. And then if we ever want to try this fertility thing again, we can just get it started when we are ready, when we are in a more mentally stable kind of um headspace. Yeah, so it took a while to convince him um, but he did come around in the end and we both got um, very excited to do it. And what's the adoption process like in Singapore? And mm. I mean, how long did it take? It can really range from being just a complete surprise to waiting for, I guess, years. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of routes that you can go through. So number one is you can go through the, the, the private um, adoption agencies. So bearing in mind that they are a for-profit company, 
Right. Right? They mm. are private-owned um, agencies. So, in that way, um, you pay a little bit more. Okay, a lot more. <laughs> yeah. But you do get things... Um, Settled for you in the sense you just um, come by, choose which baby you would like from the available, I would say, um, catalog. <laughs> wow. And usually it's from like neighboring countries. Right. Because so Singapore it's not, so the private rate. is more for children that are around, surrounding yes. the region. Yeah. I guess from anywhere in the world, but more wow. yeah. abundantly um, around the region. Yes, like Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam, China, that sort of thing. Mm. So, um, yeah, I've heard from friends that it can be a bit transactional. You can feel like you are buying a baby because you mm. really just... How do you choose from this between this baby and that one? And you see both pictures and like, which one? Yeah, but that can be really, really be costly. But that can cut your waiting time by a lot. Right. It can be anywhere as soon as the admin um, part is over and about six months. It's oh, wow, really, really that's fast. quite quick. It's really, really fast. Mm. They are very efficient. I mean, you are paying them a service. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's legal and everything, yes, but it's very expensive. Um, so, the next route that I went through was the public route via MSF. There is a Ministry of Social and Family something. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the public route. Yes. Um, through that, you have to go through uh, a couple of um, uh, briefings and you have to go through a very intrusive um, home study. They call it the home study. Mm. Where they will really assess your mental health, physical health, our financial health, how's the state of your marriage, how's the state of your family, who's going to support you after you have the child, um, how's the child support system going to be like if you do have a child, and then they will assess whether you are ready to be adoptive parents, and with that home study, and then you can be on the list, and then you are waiting in line for when it's your turn to get matched with a baby or with a child, yeah, correct. So that can range anywhere from. I don't know if it's a really a surprise the next day or you can be waiting for years. Mm. Yeah. And do they have certain requirements that you were aware of when they did the home study? Were they looking for, like, did your age play into it? Did your, you know, where you lived, were they looking for a child that matched ethnicity or was it very just, did you have a lot of transparency, I guess, in terms of what, what they were assessing and, and whether you'd be on the list, so to speak? I see. Okay, so during the home study, they would uh, they would try to um, match people with the same ethnicity because mm. um, that sort of minimizes the problems of blending in that the kids gonna have, especially in a local situation. So there are, for example, I went through Upkim. Upkim is the agency for MSF accredited by them that handles a lot of the Muslim um, a- uh, adoptions. Mm. So they will typically match Muslim babies, um, typically more majority Malay in Singapore, Malay Muslim babies with Malay Muslim families. So in that way, they don't have to totally, how should I say, feel out of place when they are growing up. They yeah. try to match it in that sense as well. Um, but also more than that, I think they try to match it with parents who are physically and mentally ready to have a mm-hmm. have a child. You know, in the in the in that hit space, um, how you are financially, I think as long as they see that you are capable of you know making things work, right? Not everybody can be um, financially abundant all the time or at a point where you are ready to have a child. Um, for me personally, when we were when we were applying, we did not have that much savings, but they could see that we had a plan and we have a, uh, this bakery and we were going to make things work and we mm. were more than willing to do anything to make it work, you see? So once we show that you have a plan, okay, then the financial part is maybe like settled. And then for the age part, I know that you cannot be more than 50 years older than your adopted child. So let's say if you're 50, then you can adopt a zero-year-old child, like an infant. But 51, then the child has to be one year old. Oh, well, that's quite good, actually, because yes. some countries it's um, 
much more restrictive. So yes. in, in Australia, it was 40 was the kind of I cutoff, see. which is quite difficult because, yes. you know, if, if you're going you're through a... Yeah, that's right, like fertility journey, yes. you may try in your 30s and then by 40, that's when... And then the window for adoption is closed. Yes. So how long did it did it take in the end for you from the... Um, you know, the at-home assessments and, and kind of getting on the list finally. How long did it take from that moment? Um, for us, uh, we were waiting for a bit, but it came as a shock because um, we were totally not, totally not ready. So we were basically at home just waiting and then um, we got a call and said, hey, do you want to come into the office for like a, um, there's some questions for you to guys to answer, maybe some um, about your finances or about something else, if you can't remember what it was. And when we came into the office at like 2pm and we had a chat, and then she said in the end, um, we do have a baby for this charge at for this charge at five PM today. Would you guys want to pick him up? Then we were like, What? <laughs> oh my goodness. If I knew I would have slept at eight PM the night before. Yeah. I'm tired now. <laughs> oh my goodness. So did you have anything ready at no, all? There was no. nothing. There was no milk bottles, there were no cards, there were no diapers. So we had like three hours to go to mother care or like some sort of a baby place to just shop for everything. Everything. So I wow. called up my friend and we were like, I need, I need, I need help. The baby's coming like today. What? 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 <laughs> yeah. So I went down with her and my husband and we just basically put everything into the shopping trolley and we were out of there to the hospital. With I, I couldn't believe that I had all these things in my backseat, you know, like it was, as we were driving to the hospital. I'm like, am I really going to pick up a baby today? It feels so surreal. Yeah. Very. I mean, yeah. you know, when, you know, if you have a very kind of regular pregnancy, you yes. have nine months to yes. get adjusted to the idea. A pregnant lady, yes. you know when the EDD is, yes. sort of like read it yourself. But because it was a very sudden thing, uh, yeah, it was a shock. A ha- very happy shock for me. I was so excited, trying to keep it cool in front of the adoption lady. But, you know, inside I was bursting. <laughs> How am I going to tick off the list of all the things I need for this exactly. baby? You mentioned in kind of your social media and other, and yeah. other avenues that you wanted a semi-open adoption. Yes. Can you tell us, you know, what that means and why that was something that you wanted? Okay. So the first question the lady asked us when we were going to be matched with a family or a baby is that, um, what kind of adoption are you looking for? Because mm. some ad- some birth families want a close adoption, meaning they don't want to have yes. anything to do with the baby or the adoptive family. They don't, don't want to do anything about the baby or where you are or who you are or who the baby is. Completely anonymous. Completely anonymous. Yeah. And I can understand why they would want to have such such a request sometimes. And in in my son's case, it was this situation. They don't want anything to know anything about him. Yeah. For meanwhile, I wanted a semi-open adoption where I wanted to, I mean, at the start when we were first getting to know them, um, to know them and to for them to know who we are and how um, we can reach each other. Maybe we can exchange a few pictures at the start. We can get to know them as, as people, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but with the facilitation of the adoptive uh, adoption agency. So it won't be so... It will be more moderated at the start. And then if you both feel comfortable, we can take it off and we can have our own arrangement. Continue. Yes, yeah. we have to start like a semi-open adoption. So we both feel more comfortable 
not pressured into something that we don't we're not ready to be. Yeah. Mm. And did that eventuate or, or is it a closed adoption it's with Noah? It's still a closed adoption. Yeah. But at the end, really for me, after when my child grows up, it's um his choice, you know. It's not about respecting their decision and it's about my child. Yeah. If he wants to find them, then, I mean, we do have all the details. We just choose to respect it at the moment because he's still a child. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And that could change in the future. Exactly. We don't know, obviously, right. the situation and everything yeah. like that. So you had, what was it, three or four hours before you met your son for the first time. Uh, What was that first moment like when you held him in your arms for the very first time? To be honest, it was, I don't know, it felt like it wasn't real because everyone was around. Mm. I had the adoption lady with me. I had um, my mom who came to help us. I had my husband and everyone walking around us at at KKH. So it felt like it wasn't real. Like he wasn't mine. Like, okay, I'm just yeah. being a baby. I, I, like, I'm supposed to be excited, but I'm just like, okay. But once you got into the car and it was just quiet, it was just me and my husband and the baby, then it felt more real. Like, this is, a, we are a family, you know? Yeah. So that was when I really looked at him and I was like, oh my God, you're my son. <laughs> and what were the first few weeks like? Because it's obviously, you know, whenever, <laughs> newborn babies are really hard oh, yes. and... <laughs> You know, we do have hopefully a little more time to kind of prepare mentally and prepare practically, right, for their arrival, read books and all of those kinds of things. So what were the first few weeks like for you and your family with Noah? Um, I'm a very kind of like, let's just go gung-ho kind of person. My husband is a more, we need to prep kind of yeah. person. So I would say in the older days, like during the days of my grandma, we had, they really had the whole village to mm. sort of like come in and come out, aunties and grandmas to help out. But in these days, day and time, we lived behind closed doors in our own little tiny apartment. So it was really just me, my husband and my son. And he was a newborn and I was very like, go, go, go. But after about a week, I guess exhaustion and fatigue just sort of like set in. There was this night I remember very vividly when it was about 3 a.m. and I heard the baby crying, right? And I thought, okay, my husband's got it. But he thought that I got it. So the baby was crying for God knows how long and we were both just sleeping. Delirious, yeah. Sort of like lost it, you know? So then we... We learn to take turns and to, you know, ask for help when we need it. Yeah. Yeah. It still actually does take a village, I think. You yes. Know? And even then, I wasn't, I didn't give birth. I wasn't recuperating. I wasn't mm. trying to get back to my body. I don't know how women who have no help and who gave birth actually do it. It's amazing. Did you feel a little like you couldn't ask for help because of that? I felt that way a little mm. bit because I'm like, I didn't give birth, I should be able to do this, right? Like, mm. what excuse do I have? But I guess it's more of like the the mental break that you need. So we went to our parents' place a lot. Just grab the baby in my mom's house. Here, take the baby. I'm going to let sleep for 10 minutes or an hour. <laughs> we'll just be out on the floor like zombies. Yeah. I think yeah. the hardest thing for every parent is the sleep deprivation yes, because you just, there's no way to prepare for that. Yeah, And I think anyone who doesn't have children it's it's very hard to explain How because it's, really like. it's not like you can time when you sleep and when you don't yes. you're at the mercy of <laughs> this little baby was <laughs> Noah really unsettled or was he quite a settled baby um he was generally his disposition is very happy but his sleep was terrible yeah terrible sleep <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's yeah. very tough 
You're listening to the Honey Kids Podcast Growing Pains. I'm your host, Ange Neo. Did you know that over half a million mums and dads read Honey Kids every month? Amazing but true. If you'd like to know all the great things to do in Singapore, then you absolutely need to subscribe to our newsletter. It delivers the best of Singapore right into your inbox every week. You made the decision to breastfeed, Noah. Yes, I Can you do. talk us through the why and, and through the process of that? I've always been aware um, that this is possible. Yes. Like if you're not pregnant, you can still breastfeed. Mm. Um, in the Muslim community, it's been around for centuries because um, women used to be milk mothers mm. for, um, for babies who couldn't um, have mothers who could breastfeed. Um, in my family, my extended family, I have a, a distant cousin who is a gynae and she adopted kids and she breastfed her baby. So I've always known that, hey, this is a possibility. So when this happened to me, I'm like, I'm going to do that. You know, <laughs> I'm going to be that person who did this. So I, in my head, I wanted to visit a doctor, a gynae, mm. way in advance, get the milk out way in advance, freeze it, and I'll have a free- freezer full of breast milk ready when the child comes. So when Noah came But so that didn't suddenly, happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> So on the same day that I got him, I called my granny. I said, the baby is here. I need milk like yesterday. Please help me. Help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then I, I came to see her the next day and she gave me two medication or maybe hormones. I can't remember. So one is to trick your body into thinking that it's pregnant. Mm. And then the other one is to trick it into thinking that you've given birth. Mm. So and then the milk comes. Yeah. So that coupled with a lot of uh, of massaging and pumping. Um, from what my research was on the on the internet, it was supposed to be very scary and painful because people were basically pumping every few hours, pumping nothing out, right? Yeah, it'd be quite pain. Was it painful? That was how it's supposed yeah. to be. Like I've heard stories of like blisters and like blood, and I'm yeah. like, oh crap. Yeah, but I was like, let's just go with this. But um, for me, fortunately, it was. Quite painless. I think only when the milk started to come in and it was a bit like achy. Yeah. Like you're going to have a period kind of achy. Yeah. But, but it's nothing like what I've read online. So I was really very, very thankful. Even though that I was a, even though I was a low supply mom, like it was really just massaging and squeezing with a syringe. You know, <laughs> okay, great. Today we have 10 ml. <laughs> oh, the sense of accomplishment at getting those yes. 10 ml. But we did it. So we, I gave him about five full feet of my breast milk and then he's considered my milk child. Yeah. That's right. And did you were you able to breastfeed him or did you? Yes. Ha- yeah. Yes. And that so would have been an amazing well. bonding yeah, experience. I never right? even thought that this would be possible, you know. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. amazing. And then you said you'd like to share Noah's adoption story with him yeah. while he's young. And and I'm I assume because he's still quite little. Yes, it's probably not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Not yet. Um why do you think that it's so important to share this story with him when he's you know, I'm not sure what age, but when he's young. Yep. Mm. I feel that adoption is not a, a taboo thing no. or a bad thing. Mm. And it doesn't need to be something that's hidden from from you. And I feel that the more you know of it, it just becomes part of your identity mm. instead of something you have to deal with when you're older. Maybe you, maybe someone's being told that they're adopted at 15. And that's the age where you're like all hormonal and rebellious, right? And you're dealt with this kind of like, hey, you're not who you are. Like, your yeah. whole life, life is a lie. How do you deal with that? Like, it's really difficult. So, if, I feel like it's something that, you know what, I'm adopted and it's okay. 
Like I've always known And it's not something That I'm ashamed of And then it just becomes A part of you Another part of you Like your hair is brown Or you know I'm a lefty or a righty Just just a part of you So I feel that like That is better for him In his mental sense as well mm. Mm. I also think society's changed so much Hasn't it yes. Whereby even kind of two, three decades ago, it was much more common for these closed adoptions. Don't yes. really talk about it. Break it to the, you know, the yeah. adopted child when they're grown up. Correct. And it's like definitely not saying that that's the wrong thing to do, but it's just more that we are a more open, kind of inclusive, yes. you know. And I feel like with more... Um, research and mm. child psychologists doing their work and we actually know more information now you know we have yes. all this access to all this information so why shouldn't we make use of it to make our lives better for our children mm. and the thing is even if you are able to keep it a secret but are the people around the child able to keep it a secret too are their children being able to keep it a secret too are they going to let it That's off right. play at the playground who do we oh, tell you're adopted <laughs> like yeah. what you know exactly and the only person who doesn't know is the person itself themselves mm. and that's kind of hurts what if it happens to you and it doesn't take away of course from who you are which is Noah's mom you know so yeah so I guess you have to be certain of who you are in your lives you know you have to have that confidence that yeah it's nothing wrong with this Mm. what about parenting Noah (laughs) I know that you try to follow the respectful parenting ethos yes um perhaps explain what that is and why it's important to you um, I've in my free time of uh, waiting for Noah to wake up from his naps, I have read a couple of books, and I think they are very um, useful. Mm. I've read different perspectives, and I guess I'm not just into one specifically, but I tend to pick which one makes sense to me and how that fits in into the way I parent Noah. For example, um, the child is really when they're having a tantrum, is you're not talking to the rational mind. If you are dysregulated, they are even going to be more dysregulated because they can't control what they are doing at that point of time. So you have to be the calm one to calm them down. So I do believe in in that. And it really, really works. Like if you are calm and the child is tantruming, is way out of the mall. But it's okay because he's going to see that you are calm and you will rub off on him and he's going to be calm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're like little sponges. So yes. if they see people shouting, yes. they'll think that. It's more Correct. common and that's something that's okay. Exactly. So I really believe that the child um, is is someone that you should... His his opinions or his or her opinions matters as well. Like mm. his or her, him or they want control over over what they, what they want. And just give, give them the small things. Like what, what kind of cup do you want today? The blue cup or the red cup? They have they feel like they have more of a say. They feel like they have they have they're a member of the family, you know. And then they tend to be more compliant or or they tend to listen more to what you want them to do as well because it feels like they have a choice in what they want to do. Mm. What advice would you give to other parents that are just starting their adoption journey in Singapore? Well, I guess it really doesn't hurt to read more about everything, about parenting and about adoption. There's not... Um, the information there is on adoption on the MSF website. It seems like a lot to read, but at the end of the day, I, at the end of the day, I wish there was a, a more comprehensive list, like a step-by-step list of mm. what you can expect to do during your adoption process because when I was going through it, I was really like, okay, what's next? So, so which which form is next? Uh, where, where do we go to next? So, yeah, I guess find out more information about it from someone who's already went through it or someone who's going through it. 
and you will feel more prepared in that sense, yeah. Did you find for your husband and yourself bringing this new baby home and, you know, you've had Noah for almost three years yes. with the family, yeah. did did you find that you kind of bonded with him immediately or did it take quite a bit of time for yourself or your husband to kind of – because it was such a shock as yes. well, right? And then you're suddenly – you know, given this gorgeous little baby, uh, you know, did you feel that you bonded straight away and did you kind of go, oh, I'm Noah's mum really early on or did it take a lot of time for that to kind of grow? For my husband, he said the first six months was hell. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because the baby can't interact with you and it's just the baby's needs, the baby's needs and none of yours. Um, But he grew into it beautifully. For me, I really felt like it was a natural thing for me. I feel like from the start, I managed to bond with this baby. Maybe it's through all the skin to skin and breastfeeding as yes. well. Like, we we are really close. Like, he's uh, one of the best people that I know, and he's only three. <laughs> yeah, so I really feel it was meant to be. Yeah, yeah, completely. <laughs> yes. I can. Uh, yeah, it's it's very obvious that he's yeah, a very lucky little boy, Shira. <laughs> And how about, I know that you have this very successful business, so Fluff Bakery. How has it been juggling? And a lot it, a lot has happened in the last three years yes. in terms of your business. Okay. So, And then you've suddenly got this little baby as well. <laughs> yeah. So how are you juggling motherhood and being a businesswoman? For me, I feel that I was very lucky because people have four months of maternity leave and then they have to go back to work. But for me, I managed to... I have a very strong team who can basically do everything, right? So I had the opportunity and the privilege to step back and raise my baby and come to the shop once in a while and say, hey, everybody, look at my baby! And then and then go home. And I know that they're going to get the work done. And the marketing thing is going to be done. The baking is going to be done. Everything's going to go fine because they are very capable. So in that sense, I felt very privileged to be able to do that, to focus on, on being a mom first. So now that he's a bit older and he's in school, um, we, and we moved into a new shop as well. So I'm there almost every day. I get to do the things that I love again, um, like the experimenting and the baking. Um, I get to do the things that, that I love without having to worry about, you know, not being able to make time for my baby as well. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? it? It is, there is, I know you say privilege, but also when you have your own business, there is, there's a lot of pressures, but oh, there yeah. is also that you're, you're your own, you know, boss in a way yes. so that you can kind of dip in and out. So that's... Yes. Great. Yeah, so that's wonderful. But also, I know as having friends yeah. that own small business, it's a lot of work. And yeah, yeah. at this time especially, it's a very crucial time for us after we moved to a new location. Mm. Um, yeah, we're trying, we're trying to make things work. So I'm trying to get like workshops out and get the new experiments out in time to go and get Noah in the evening. But it's been it's been fun. Hopefully, we'll pull through. Uh, in terms of adoption in mm-hmm. Singapore, as you said, there's a couple of different routes that you can go. Do you have a community of other mothers or parents that are that are also adoptive parents? Is mm. that something that you've kind of got here in Singapore? Or are you very just like, look, we've adopted Noah and now we've, we're, we're just at school and we're doing the normal kind of community things? Or is there kind of a community of adoptive parents that you're mm. close with? There, I know there are support groups and parents, mm. uh, groups for people who have adoptive children. So I guess parents can connect in that way and the children can connect as well. But we are not in any of them. I mean, I'm on the Facebook group. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I've, I guess because when we adopted him and then the whole COVID thing happened, so it didn't give us a chance to reach out to anyone anyway. But I would love to, you know, when he's older and it's time to really tell him what adoption means. Mm. 
to have someone to reference off like hey what did you do and what information did you give at yeah. what age you know yeah so that would be really nice to to have uh, someone more experienced to talk about that maybe I'll reach out a little later <laughs> yeah. yeah and then any final thoughts or any comments in terms of adoption in Singapore anything that you feel that our listeners would kind of benefit from knowing no, generally, I feel that a lot of people are very supportive. Yeah, the the support that I got from when I told people that I was adopting and no one's our son, it was just awesomely overwhelming. So I think that in the community in general, it's very ready mm. to... I mean, we are maybe a new generation now and we don't have the same taboos that our forefathers used to have. So it feels very good to know that no one is accepted and, and people are really supporting us, Yeah. Amazing. I have three questions I like to ask okay. all our guests when they come on yeah. the show. The first one is the worst parenting moment that you can remember. <laughs> um, no one was tired. I needed to get something from the supermarket. And I was like, you know, it's going to be an in and out moment. I'm just going to grab it and I'm going to leave. But he didn't want to stay in the car, so I grabbed him along with me. Oh my god, he had the biggest meltdown at the frozen aisle and <laughs> like kicking and screaming on the floor. And I was like, oh my god, this is totally my fault. I should have left him in the car. He should have gotten his nap. And so I tried to grab him while he was flailing in my arms and trying to pay with the groceries with another hand. <laughs> I sprained my wrist. <laughs> We've all been there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We've all fine. been there though, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. There's that sense of helplessness when yeah. your child is having those tantrums. Exactly. And then the wonderful commiserating looks from other parents is lovely but it doesn't doesn't help help the situation (laughs) I'm with you yeah but please someone help me (laughs) how do I make it stop Um, what about your best parenting moment um I guess for me it's when I see him being successful at something after struggling with it on his own or when I see him having more empathy towards someone because at that age, it's all about them, right? It's all yes, about they're little narcissists. Yes. Mm. So when I see things like that, I felt like, wow, I'm not doing so bad. You see, he's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful to see them just grow into themselves. Yes, correct. Mm. And then what is, I mean, I'm sure there's many things, but what is one thing that you wish you knew before you became a parent? Oh, really? The best parents are the ones who don't have a child because you know everything. But once you become a a parent, you realise you know nothing. (laughs) It's so true. Yes, Mm. yes. You really... Parenting is really about relearning everything about yourself and how you were brought up and how you want your child to be. So it's not really about teaching the child. It's teaching yourself to be a parent. Yeah. Relearning everything. Relearning Mm. everything. That's right. Yeah. Well, Shira, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really wonderful to understand and learn more about the adoption process in Singapore. And um, obviously, Noah's thriving and is, you know, I'm sure very happy to have a wonderful mother like you. Oh, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. And wishing you all the success with Fluff Bakery. Thank you. Come visit us. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Thank you again, Shira, for our chat today on your adoption journey. I am now joined by our Honey Kids writer, Sufyan, to chat with us a little about what else we can find on our site. Thanks, Ange. Hi, listeners. Sufyan. And yes, we have loads of content on Honey Kids Asia for those looking to learn more about adoption. First off, we have an interview with Linda Isham, a food reviewer and influencer who initially adopted before conceiving naturally. 
There's also our story on Sarah Salmon, who shares her experiences of adopting babies in Asia. Of course, Shaira and Fluff Bakery are also featured on our site. Shah's listed in our Instagram Moms Roundup, as well as one of the mompreneurs who's able to juggle work and motherhood. Fluff Bakery is mentioned as a top place in Singapore to get yummy cupcakes and donuts. Mm. Now what are you waiting for? Head over to the Honey Kids Asia site to read all the great content we have. And more! Thanks, Suf. Well, that's it for this episode of Growing Pains. Thank you for listening and we will see you next time.